You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. So it's a privilege to be up here to speak to you this morning. Um, it's great to be here. Um, hello to you if you're, uh, if you're new here, or if you're visiting as well. Welcome. Welcome to you. I've got a question for you this morning, and it's, uh, doesn't everyone just want to be loved and to love? Is this the question of life? Is this the biggest question of life? It's, it's the line from a film that I recently watched in the cinema. Towards the end of the film, the main character asked this question. He was you know, involved with this villain of the film, and he comes to this point in his life, and he realizes that he thinks this is what it's about, that doesn't everyone just want to be loved? and to love. Isn't this what it's all about? And really, I tend to agree with them. I think that that is what people want. I think, you know, this goes beyond status. It goes beyond cultures. It goes beyond wealth or or poverty. You know, people who are poor want to be loved and want to love. People who are wealthy want to love and be loved. It doesn't matter what part of society you're in. It feels like this is like a a deep-rooted quest or question in our lives and in our society. And it feels like there's this longing inside everybody to be loved or to be liked. Oh, feeding back a bit. Um, and I certainly feel that I've had this experience as well. And uh, I just want to share with you that when I was at school, if you were in my year at school and you were a girl, I probably asked you out. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there was just this, I just wanted somebody to love and I wanted to be loved, you know. And so I asked out everybody that I saw. And I just, I wasn't very good at dating, and fortunately, it was a lot later that I met Abby, and I'd matured a bit before then, so I was very fortunate that that happened. But, you know, this was partly fueled by a desire to love, partly fueled by a desire to be loved, Um, but ultimately it was misguided, you know. There's this confusion between the very real longing for physical and emotional connection, and this other kind of much deeper real longing to be known, to be loved, that I had. And maybe some of you have experienced that as well, because I believe that is what is in the hearts of men and women. And I think that this same misguided approach that we have, you know, in society is pushing us towards the wrong things. You know, I've called this looking for love like a dating site, because these are the adverts that I get all the time. You know, these are the things that I see around me all the time that, you know, if this is the quest, I feel like this is what society's answer is. You know, when you find the one, you're going to be satisfied. When you find your soulmate, then everything is going to come together for you and everything's going to be fine. And it's a bit like, you know, the same as the whole thing about the lottery. You know, everyone's quest, oh, when I win the lottery, when my ship comes in, it's the same kind of thing. It's a misguided approach to when this happens for you, then that's going to make everything fine, everything will be good. And I think what it does is that we actually carry the wrong things into relationships it's kind of this idolatry we put onto relationships in society. And we can sometimes make a lot of mistakes because we bring too much and we put all this pressure on somebody when we do get to get together with them to satisfy this deep core longing that we have that's inside of us. I just want to share with you some uh, famous quotes here from, from people about the search for love before I go further. They say that love hides behind every corner. I must be walking in circles. Joking. 
The flower doesn't dream of the bee. The flower blooms and the bee comes. No pressure there, just bloom and then somebody will appear. Love isn't something you find, it's something that finds you. That's quite a common one, I think. People believe that. The goal is to find a soulmate, not a cellmate. <laughs> quite like that one as well. And this one is quite apt, I think. People make the mistake of entering into a relationship and thinking that the other person will fill the void that they are missing, that they will bring them the happiness and joy that they are looking for. And I think that one sums up this kind of idolatry in relationships, that society pushes us towards the experiential, physical, emotional love found in romantic relationships and as the ultimate source of happiness. But this kind of leaves us a bit empty once we, we go into these relationships because we don't find the answer to the deep longing that we have. It sounds like I'm really disappointed in my marriage. No, it's not true. <laughs> Abby's here, sure. It's not true. It's something else. It's some other deep hunger that we have. And I think that's why so many relationships fail because I think we put all this on our partners to satisfy this hunger we have for something deeper. And I, you know, let's be honest, we, we fail at this as well. We fail at being good at loving. So if the first part of the question is we all want to love, the second part is that we all want to be loved. Um, sorry, I've put them the wrong way around. The second part is that we want to love, and, and we fail at this. We are very bad a lot of the time at loving. I fail at this. I'm not always a good listener, and uh, I'm not always, I don't always know what Abby's talking about. And I'm not always emotionally available enough. And I'm not compassionate enough. And I'm not empathetic enough. I'm not sympathetic enough. And, and I just fail at this. I, I want to love her well, but I do fail at being loving. And I think we find this also in our friendships. You know, we often fail in friendships. We're so, because we're often so self-centered. We're so about me that, you know, how many times have you walked away from a conversation with somebody and you're like, oh, I don't. I don't really know what they said. I remember what I was talking about and what I needed to share, but I don't remember what, we, what they were talking about or what their need was because we're so focused on self and not on the other person. So we can be quite bad. Even if we want to be good at loving, we can be quite bad at it. I don't know about you, but it's certainly true of me. And there's also there's some sort of dangerous rhetoric out there going around that's to do with self-care. I don't, some of you might have, have read it, some of you might not, but... The essence of it is that if somebody isn't living up to your expectations as a friend, you ditch them. You know, you forget them. They're not good enough for you. They're not worthy. You know, protect yourself from them by cutting them out and just get rid of them. If they forgot your birthday, then forget them. And it's really scary because, I don't, as, again, I don't know about you, but I've definitely been that person in a friendship, in a relationship where I've forgotten something. And what this rhetoric, if you believe this as worldly wisdom to stick to, you will end up alone because everybody's going to fail at some point. And there's no grace in this. There's no, there's, there's no like, oh, that's me. I also do that. It just says protect yourself from all these people and get rid of them if they're no good. So I tend to agree with that character in the film. I think that we do want to love and to be loved. I think that is the big question that we're asking. But I think that society is confusing us and misdirecting us about what the answer is to this question. And it brings up some pretty significant questions itself. You know, what is love? Where do we find it? And what it means to be loved? 
And I just want to share some of that now from what the Bible's perspective on this is. Where the world points to self-centered love, the Bible points to self-sacrificing love. So we're going to have a look this morning in 1 John. And uh, it's, uh, you can turn to it in your Bibles if you have your Bibles. And uh, we'll see what God has for us, what wisdom he has on this quest for love and, and how it differs to the world around us and to society. So we're in 1 John, it's uh, towards the back of your Bible. It's not John, it's another book towards the back of your Bible, a little book. Um, and it's really good. I would recommend you read it. I recommend you sit in it, actually. Not sit in your Bible, but sit in it this week, you know. Read it multiple times. It's quite short. You can read it over and over. Uh, and it's really good, a really good read. So for some context, quickly before I read from it, um, it's actually anonymous, but it's attributed to John the Elder, who's a disciple of Jesus, and he wrote Second John and Third John. So scholars believe that the way of writing and the style of it is so similar to the other ones that they've attributed it, attributed it to John as well. And uh, it's a bit more like a sermon in style as you go through than it is a letter. And it's written to some house churches they believe in Ephesus. And uh, basically John is trying to work through some really difficult theological problems they've had. They've had division, they've had difficulties in the church, and he's trying to encourage them in the truth of who God is and who God says that they are. There's three main themes in, in 1 John, and it talks about life, light, and love. But today I want to focus here on what it says about God's love and how he tells us to love. So it's 1 John 4 we're going to. I've got quite a lot of text up there, but I won't work through it all. 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. That's quite a long bit of, bit of scripture for a morning, but the reason I've read it all to you is that I hope you notice the repetition that he uses in here. There's a lot in here, and I think to note first that the word love is used a lot. Um, hopefully you notice that. Not just here, but throughout this whole book. 
And it's the Greek word agape, which means brotherly love, care for, affection. And it's usually used in that sense, but it's never used to describe physical or sexual love. John uses a, a, a variation of that word 52 times in this book. And just to put that into context, it's only used 320 times in the whole New Testament. So a large proportion of this book is about love. It's the most prominent and striking thing in this book. And the most striking thing he says in that passage is this famous phrase, God is love. And he repeats it. And in the same way that we can be quite flippant often with, I, I love this and I love that. I love my wife, but I also love donuts. You know, We can be quite flippant with how we use that word. We can also kind of be flippant with, God is love. You know, I hear it binded around, oh, God is love. You know, it's like we say it, but do you really think about this? What does this actually mean? What are we actually saying? So just take a second where you are just now and just, I just want to challenge you to think about that statement. God is love. If you close your eyes for a sec and you just think, what's the first thing that you think of when you think of God? Is it condemnation? Is it wrath? Is it judgment? Or is his whole character to you summed up in love? Because what John's trying to set out here for us and what, what he's trying to help us understand is that God's very nature is love. His character, his being, it's who he is. And when John uses the word God here, he's actually referring to the Trinity. He's not making a distinction between Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God. He's saying all three, God, the Trinity, is love. Compassion, mercy, forgiveness, even discipline can all be summed up in this phrase, God is love. Those attributes of God can be summed up in this phrase. And the famous, uh, famous theologian Karl Barth, who wrote thousands of pages of theology, uh, a really intense amount of theology, was once asked in a conference, if you could sum up all this that you've been doing, all this theology that you've been writing, in one sentence, what would it be? And he paused for a minute and then said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Of all that work, of all he did, he was saying it's God's love that sums up everything. So this quest for love that we talked about at the beginning, you know, this quest for, and this longing for love, if God is love, is this really the search for God and not for love? That deep longing that people feel inside of them, that want to be loved, is it actually a deep longing for a connection with God who is love? We misdirect this and we try and find this in people or we expect that we're going to get them to love us in a certain way. Uh, or or when they can't do that and they can't fulfill this longing and this desire that we have to connect with God, then they fail us. Because really it's much, much deeper than what anybody can handle. He goes on to say also, not only is God love, but real love comes from God. So not only is he the, the sum of love, but all love comes from him. It overflows from him. It abounds from him. It's sent out from him. It manifests in the world from God. So we've got God is love. The second thing here is how does he show this love to the world? And we've talked about it a bit 
here in communion, what people have described in their prayers. Because John sets it out pretty clearly here, and he said in, earlier in, in the book, in 3.16, he says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for each other. And he repeats this in chapter 4, in case you didn't get that. This is love. He says it like a definition. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He repeats it with purpose so that you remember it. This is love. This is the depth, the power, the root of God's love versus the world style of love. This is servant-hearted love instead of self-centered love. And that's what Jesus did at the cross. It's servant-hearted, self-sacrificing love instead of self-serving love. You know, God didn't need to do this. He could have left us to our own devices. He could have just left us on this road to destruction, on our merry path to wherever we were going, which I don't think sounds great. But you know, his character is just. So there's this point where he, he's got to deal with sin as well. He's also the judge, so he's love. And that's his character, but he's also the judge. He's also just. So I kind of feel like almost like the Trinity had to get together and say, look, I've got to deal with this. We can't let this all go because that's not just. Is there anybody who could go and make a way so that the people that we love don't end up in destruction because we have to deal with this? And Jesus says, I'll go and takes the punishment of sin of the world upon himself at the cross. This is the greatest act of love in history. In the history of the universe, this is the greatest act of love. And he did this for you, and he did this for me, out of love. Just as people were describing there, as they were talking about what we do at communion here, if this doesn't make sense to you, usually this is what we were doing. We were celebrating the love of Jesus for us. But part of it is that we don't really get that much understanding of how great that act of love is if we don't really understand the depth of our own inadequacy and our own sinful nature. You know, if somebody paid off a small debt for you, you might be like, oh, thanks. You know, oh, that 20 quid, that's great. and I don't have to pay that off. If somebody paid off a big debt for you, you might be like, whoa, you know, thousand pounds. Oh, that's a lot. Thanks a lot. But if somebody pays off a debt like this, something you cannot change on your own, you can never pay back, you can never get out of, then you realize how much of an act of love it is that he took so much upon himself. And that helps us to understand and get a glimpse of how great this act of love is. Because it's the very person that's handed down the sentence. As I said there, God is just. So it's a bit like being in a courtroom where you've done something terrible. You're standing in front of the judge and he hands out a sentence to you and says, this is your sentence. And then he gets down from the dock and walks over to where the policeman is and the policeman leads out the judge in your place. What would you be thinking in that moment? I'm free. He's taken this for me. You would love that person for what they've done for you. And this is what Jesus did for us. In chapter 3, verse 1, John also says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And this is what we are. When we come to know him, it says that he's lavished his love on us as his children. This word that they use in the NIV, they're trying to describe what this is, and they use lavished, and it's, 
This word that means to give generously, abundantly, to heap upon you, to pour on you. This is how great his love for us is that he lavishes on us. God is love. Christ's sacrifice is how we know what true love is. And he calls us to love like this. This is the third point. He says that we should seek to love in a sacrificial way like he's done. And he says this, John says this multiple times in the book. And if we refer back to what I was saying at the beginning about the earthly, worldly way of love, this absolutely smashes through that. Because it's saying you, you, don't, you can't be self-centered in this love. You've got to be self-sacrificial in this love, like what Jesus has demonstrated to you. And 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes about love, and he says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. That kind of love is a kind of love I like. That is the opposite of ditch your friends if they upset you. This is God's upside down kingdom way of loving. It doesn't look how we think it should look for the sort of get everything for myself, take it all for me, me first kind of idea that's going around in society. This is the opposite. Think of them first. You know, this passage in Corinthians is often read at, at weddings. And I'm like, wow, that love. Like, I can't do that. I'm not going to be able to achieve that. But fortunately, this is God's kind of love. And he's imparting it to us through his spirit. So as Margaret likes to say, so what? You know, so what that God is love? So what that Christ died for us? And so what that he wants us to love like this? What do we do with this wisdom of God's way of love? And I think it directly relates to this hungry searching question. Doesn't everyone just want to be loved? And the first thing is that we can know the love of God. If we're saying, I just want to be loved, then God says, I am love and you can know me. And you can know the love of God and we can connect with God himself who is love. It's the answer to that longing. And Paul prays in Ephesians that they would have the power to grasp how wide and how deep and how high the love of Christ is. And that's my prayer this morning for us, that we would grasp that. I feel like I've glimpsed that. I feel like I could, if I could grasp that, how wide, how deep and how high the love of Christ is. And you need to know this morning that God loves you. He knows you. He doesn't love you exactly like you are with all the moral failings you bring. He loves you despite all of that. And he says that when you come to him, as Graham was mentioning earlier, when you come to him, we'll deal with that stuff. That's what he says. We can, we can deal with that. I love you anyway. I love you anyway, despite all of that. Come to me as you are, and we'll work those things out. Because he's got the power to transform, refresh, renew. He says to you, just come now, just receive and know that I love you. And no one else knows you like God does. No one else knows your innermost thoughts. It doesn't matter how close you get to your spouse or your friends. 
They don't know your innermost thought. God knows your innermost thoughts. He says in Psalm 139 that he knit you together in your mother's womb. He actually created you. He knows you pretty well. He knows you better than you know yourself. And it says that he loves you. He is intimately acquainted with you. Even if you don't acknowledge him, he loves you. And how do we know that? Well, he says it's because Jesus died on the cross. And he died on the cross for me before I was born. Before I sinned. He gave up his life and he suffered and died before I'd even sinned. And he showed us this life-altering, sacrificial love. He loved me first. I hadn't even done anything, but he still made a way before I had. Servant-hearted love instead of self-centered love. And this is an action. This isn't just an emotion. We talk a lot about, you know, with romantic love, like I said, about dating sites and, and what's going on in society. It's a lot about romantic love and feelings and emotion. If I don't feel happy, then I should get out and go and do something else. This was an action that Christ did. He acted in love, not just felt. Oh, if he'd felt in the garden, oh, actually, I don't really want to go through with this. I'm not really feeling good about this. I think I shouldn't bother because it's not very good for myself. And he wouldn't have done it. But instead, he acted in love despite the consequences to himself. And this is how we know, this is what John says, this is how we know what love itself is because of what Christ has done for us. This is how we can approach God and all our fears and failures, our fear of being condemned, our fear even of death, Jesus has dealt with. So if we can come and confess our sin and believe in Christ, he welcomes us as children of God and we experience that lavishing of his love upon us. It's not just a desire either for him to receive love. He wants to be in love with people. He wants to share and have relationship with you and with us. So the third point about this is, and possibly the most profound point that John makes in this passage of scripture is how he teaches us to love others. Immediately after he says about what love is and how it's been demonstrated, he often says, and you should do this as well. This is how you should act. If the second half of the question of this quest, you know, is how do we love or we want to love, this is the answer. You know, I talked about not loving well. And this is the answer. How do we love well? What does it look like? John repeatedly says, love one another self-sacrificially. Love sacrificially and not in a self-centered way. And it's the example of Christ and what he's done that inspires us to love like him. If he's loved me despite my failings and despite all the things I've done, and he's made a way for me to connect with him by giving up his life for me, how much should this inspire me to love others like that? This is where it comes from. You can't just conjure this up. When you see what Christ has done for you, it inspires you to love like that. And he often says to lay down your life for one another. Who does that? You might have heard this story before, but there's a young girl who was dying and basically needed a blood transfusion to save her life. And so doctors approached her brother and said, her young brother and said, would you be willing for us to test to see if you can give her a blood transfusion to save her life? 
And the boy says, uh, I'll have to go and think about it. So he goes away, and the next day they ask him, he says, yeah, that, that's okay, I'm willing to do this. And so they go into the hospital, and they get hooked up, and, uh, and he's sitting there with the drip, and she's sitting there with the blood, and it's, you know, doing its thing. And, uh, and he says after a little while, how long before I die? Because he, he thinks that what they were asking him is to give up his life for his sister. This kind of love, this is self-sacrificial love. Part of this, what we're talking about, is choice. Part of this is in your will. You know, John talks about we should, we ought. Part of this is in your choice to choose to live like this. But fortunately, he says that part of it is that the Spirit of God is living in us and working this out. Because I said it's a high bar of the kind of love that we are reading about here. And we want to do that. But fortunately, the Spirit is also outworking this in us to achieve this kind of love for each other. So we can choose to love sacrificially, and we also trust and rely on the Spirit of God in us to be outworking this. He's transforming us from self-centered people into a given, generous, and loving people. The most fascinating thing I think about this passage that struck out to me when I was reading it is in 4.12. It says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And I feel like what he's saying there is people see God through us loving each other well. It's a challenge to the church. It's a challenge to us here not just to be nice to one another, but to love each other well, to love each other sacrificially, servant-hearted love instead of self-centered love. And through that, people will see God through our style of loving over the world's style of loving. If this question that I asked at the beginning is truly what people want, to be loved and to love, I believe that God answers it here. If this is the quest that you're on, don't be distracted by what the world's saying about putting everything on romantic love. Or this other rhetoric about getting rid of your friends because they're not good enough. This self-centered love. It's misdirection and it's offering people the wrong way to experience the deepest kind of love possible. Please hear me write about marriage and the sharing of love between two people. It's beautiful, I love my wife. It's wonderful and it's a gift from God. But what I'm saying is don't make this the be-all and end-all of what you're seeking after to fill that part of you that feels empty and that doesn't have the deep love of God in it yet. God is love. That's what he says. God himself is love and he loves you. And he sent Jesus who laid down his life to show us this great love not as a transaction, a one-time debit transaction, he paid it off, but so that he could give us a way to have a relationship with him. It wasn't just paid and that's it, he never wants to see you again. He wants you to experience this incredible, beautiful, powerful, deep, sacrificial love. And this is what he calls us to as a church, 
to love one another like this, to choose to love like he loves and to be intentional about the way we love each other, intentional, intentional about the way we love people, willing to lay down our lives for each other, not just in words, but in actions. Christ didn't just die to save you, to show you his love. He did it so that when we experience this, it would also change us into people who love like this. Can you imagine if we actually loved each other like this? Can you imagine if we actually loved each other with a self-sacrificial, servant-hearted love instead of self-centered love? How that would make a change in how people saw the church. How that would make a change in how we experienced it for each other. And how society would see God through us. I believe that you can change this town, Edinburgh, Glasgow, this nation, this world, through this power. And that's what he wants to do. Just trust him. If you believe in him, he lives in you. Trust him to help you to love like this and ask him to help you to love like this. Because people want to know him and people want to know and experience love even if they're searching in the wrong places. I just want to also add, if you're one of these people that's always wondering what God wants you to do. What's his will for me next? In doing this, we also fulfill Jesus' great command. He quotes from Deuteronomy and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love others as yourself. And he says that that sums up everything to do that. So if you're one of these people that's always wondering what should I be doing next? Love people and learn to love them like this. And love God with all your heart. If you don't know what I'm talking about and, and you want to know more about it, if you don't know God, if you've never experienced this kind of love, please ask me after. I'd love to speak with you. I'd love to pray with you. But I also want to give you the opportunity. He says, believe in the name of his son, Christ Jesus. In 4.15, he says, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. So as Graham said, take that opportunity. Put your trust in Jesus. Amen.